this is a business where people come and go because they don't, I think, understand how tough it's going to be. And that's what happens a lot of times if a client opens a gym, they got no business background or a trainer gets into it and they really love training. They didn't realize all this business side of stuff that it was going to take and it crushes them and they go under and that's no knock on them, but it just happens. But the sad part is obviously it's the clients. Like they don't have a place to train at now and they need a new home. Obviously you want to do everything in your power to get a hold of that owner, text them, call them, DM them on Facebook, reach out to the coaches who used to train there. I'm looking to get in contact with this owner. I heard, unfortunately, that they went out of business. I'd love to give their clients a new home, but the only way they're going to respond to you is if you've at least shown some sort of grace or respect to them. If you guys have been at war, why would they want to give you their clients? Why would they want to help you? The number one thing I would say is make sure your books are good then look at maximizing cash flow and, and profitability. And then obviously having a systemized business that somebody is inheriting, not dependent on you as the owner. So the goal for you would be to elevate yourself above the business. So you're not training sessions. You're not like doing as much day-to-day -day operations so that an owner can be like, oh, I could just take over what they're doing and, and take over their business, right? So if you're doing everything in your business, that is not a business, that is a high paying job, hopefully. Hopefully it's high pain, but it's really just a job. Welcome to the Fitness Empire Podcast, where we show gym owners how to dominate their competition and build a massively profitable fitness business. Dustin and Matt collectively own 12 gyms and have a combined 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. They're here to help gym owners create an empire of impact and income. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fitness Empire podcast. We've been having so much fun with these AMA episodes. We decided to do one more because we, we just really like helping the, the listeners with your specific questions. Me and Matt love planning and coming up with our own topics, but it seems like the AMA has been really serving a lot of gym owners and we can just get real and raw, talk about real problems happening in our businesses. And that's why we're excited to talk about this. So What's cool is if you guys are in our Fitness Empire Mastermind, you get to do this with us every week. And we are, you know, accessible to answer questions throughout the week for you guys. But for those who aren't, this is the next best thing. So if you ever have questions, submit them to me on Instagram, on Facebook, and I will put them into our list of AMA questions. We have tons to pick from. Today, I picked four that I think are really timely in what's going on in the fitness industry. So essentially... These are questions from gym owners that want to pick me and Matt's brain and ask us how we would handle these situations. So we're going to dive into them. Matt, you ready to do this, man? Of course. Love helping our audience. Right. Let's do it. So the first one comes from a gym owner named Stacy. She says this, can you give me a few ways to increase response rate? I'm getting a steady lead flow but I need to increase the responses that I get from these leads. And then also I want to increase my show up to appointments. So, so this is what I do a lot of. I'll get us started and then Matt, you could chime in. But I say that because again, gym reinforcements helps with these things to get more leads, to get more leads to respond and to get more people to respond, to book an appointment and to get more people who book an appointment to show up. Like that's our problems that we attack all day for gym owners. So essentially the first thing when it comes to the response rate is you got to really look at the quality of the questions that you're asking. I tell my team, that the funnel that we're going through 
is first we need to get them to opt in, right? First, they have to exchange their information to us in exchange for value. It could be to learn about a program. It could be to get a lead magnet, but they're willing to give up their contact info. Next, we need to get them to respond. Now that we got their contact info, they need to talk to us. There's nothing worse than having a cold lead that's giving you the cold shoulder and not talking to you. It's almost like not having a lead. You might as well not have them if they don't talk to you. And then from there, we move to a call. So we after we get a response and we got that engagement going, we want to get them to a call. Basically, it's for qualifying purposes. Some people call it a triage call. Some people call it a qualifying call. Um, but we just want to qualify and make sure that they're a good fit for the program and kind of read any re immediate red flags, you know, like some soft things you can check. What's their distance from the gym? If they're like, oh, shoot, I opted in. I actually live 10 miles from your gym. Okay, you just save the headache for the manager to meet with them. Uh, schedule. Oh, shoot, I actually, I, I was hoping you guys had an 8 p.m. and your last one of the day is 6.30. So it's like, okay, you just save the manager time. So you're kind of playing, you know, block for the quarterback and you're kind of making sure you only get them the good people in front of them. So we want to, you know, essentially do a, a call. And then the final thing is we either want to close or, you know, book an appointment depending on your model. So that that's just kind of the, the the flow that we teach our team. But just to give you some tips, Stacey, like how do we increase response rate? First, what's the quality of the questions? They should really be in the name of trying to get to know the person and the pain they're in. So like no fluff, no like, you know, hey, how's your day going? You know, are you still interested? No, I'm not because I would have called you already, right? So it's like get to know you kind of questions. So here's a few I'll lob at you that work great. Um, what's your number one fitness goal and why are you motivated to hit that goal? Those are some great ones to start with. Another one I like to ask, have you ever worked with a coach or trainer before? Because it tells me how much they've invested in fitness in the past. Um, and then another one is like, hey, could you commit to working with a trainer two to three times a week? And that's a very easy yes, no. Like I want it to be that they can reply to me really quickly because that got I got the, the, the fish to bite the hook and now we can go back and forth. So prompting them with, you know, easy letter, like even a letter, a trigger word or yes or no. You don't want to make someone write a really significant amount because now you're lowering your chances of getting a response. One final one I'll share with you that I like is like an ABC type of uh, response. So you say, hey, I was just reaching out to see which one we can help you with. Can you reply with A, B, or C? And it's A, I need help with workouts. B, I need help with nutrition. C, I need you know help with both. And so it's like how easy, like they have to press A and then send, right? B and send. So it's just literally lowering the effort level that they have to respond, but also making them high value questions that you really want to get to know the person and you're not just coming in the pitch. Like they've opted in, it's all just questions and the quality of your questions will improve your response rate. And I guess the other thing I'd layer on top of that is what is the time you're sending it? You know, um, people work, especially the people who have the disposable income to work with you. I would really suggest you test later night, um, past 3 p.m., past even 5 p.m. send times because you hit somebody at 10 a.m., guess what? They're at work and they might see it, but they're gonna put their phone down. 2 p.m. they get them at work so we've tested some lunch times and we see some positive response rates you know 12 one o'clock and then the highest is definitely past 5 p.m. and especially like really late when people are just sitting on their phone and it's funny Matt you joked about this like we're so distracted people watch tv while watching their phone and so you want to catch someone on their phone text them at 7 p.m. I bet they're on the couch they're watching football they're watching a movie and they're on their phone so super late nights we've even had you know, a lot of success going as late as seven, eight, nine o'clock. 
that's when people are on their phone and they can finally handle their personal things. So what are you saying and what time are you saying are definitely huge parts of that. Um, before I get into like appointments and helping them with that, anything you would add on that, Matt, for helping them get more responses? I think obviously it depends on like what's the context of how are you trying to reach out to a lead. So obviously if a lead opts in for a certain lead magnet, right, that needs to dictate the the conversation versus if you're trying to reactivate a super old lead or you have this big massive lead list and how do you, um, you know, engage those people. So, and then obviously too, maybe you, you collect a lead somewhere and then what do you say to them to, to get them interested? Maybe it's a, it's a couple of days later. So I think the context really needs to, to be important, but I think the most important thing that Dustin said is make it easy to start the conversation with them. A lot of people make like a big, big mistake where you're making the prospect spend a lot of energy to reply to your message or it's this long message that they're not going to read, right? Because the, the problem in today's age with, with texting, so one, they may not even be getting your text. So that, that that's a big issue that gym owners need to uh, face is a lot of the carriers, especially if it looks like spam from the be very beginning, where it like clearly looks like you're trying to solicit them for something, a lot of carriers are not going to let your text messages go through. So one of the, the things is trying to keep it as conversational and as casual as possible and make it as simple as possible for them to respond to you. So try to make it as conversational as possible, make it easy to get that response. Um, I like to opt into a lot of people's like big marketers stuff to see what, what do they do. Um, and, and the ones that are really bad, they send you like a paragraph and it's like my goodness, I'm not going to respond. Everybody's busy and they're, everyone's trying to text people these days. Like things have went away from the inbox and come to the, the text messaging. So back in the day, like text messaging used to work a lot better because open rates and response rates were like 90% to text messaging. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse with the A2P verifications. And then also like what you are sending, if it looks like spam, it's not going to go through, right? So one of the things to to real, realize is texting is not what it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. It's getting more restricted. It's getting harder to get a hold of people. Um, and people are getting bombarded by companies all the time. So really, you know, obviously context matters but also just get a response. Because once you get a response, once you get a little bit of a micro commitment and they get engaged, then you have a chance. But if you don't get them to respond in any capacity and you make them use too much energy, you are absolutely screwed. So that would be the, the biggest thing for me is try to make it simple to start a conversation and, and then lead into wherever it is that, that you want to go. Yeah, love it. And, and tips on avoiding spam. Number one, mass sending a link with, you know, as the first message, like you said, you're trying to sell me something. Hey, we saw you opted in. If you want to get started, click here to buy. Like immediately you're not going to get a high deliverability rate. And then the second is exact same message, copy pasted or sent to a lot of people at once that has no variability. So that's why you got to put in the, Hey, first name brackets. Now it's reading it as a different text message. Even if the main message is the same, it's saying, hey, John, hey, Susan, hey, Mike, 
And so it's got some variability. When you get flagged as spam is you're being lazy and you just write, hey, and then your message and you press send to a thousand people, you get marked as spam because it looks like an identical message sent out to a mass amount of people. So, um, you know, dripping it in batches, you know, doing like a 200 person text over 10, you know, groups, if you want to hit 10, 2000 people versus being lazy and pressing 2000, you know, and it's the exact same message. So just some tips we've learned from the game of texting to, to Matt's point. Um, so we'll go on Stacy to like how to get more show ups. Cause I know this is a major, major problem. Um, there's a lot of variability. So number one is what is the time of your appointments? I tend to find a lot of gym owners make the customer bend to their will rather than the other way. So they'll say, I'm going to run the morning block and I'll take some sales appointments in the middle of the day. And then at night, I want to be home for my family. Well, guess what? Your availability sucks. And that's why you're getting no shows because you have 11, 12 and one o'clock when people who have money are working, like only maybe a work from home professional could meet with you at 11, 12 or one, or maybe they can zoom with you while they're at work, but that's going to drop your close rate because there's nothing like closing people in person in the gym. So just know there's going to be like drop-offs in terms of your time that you pick it. Then how you're closing them in person will always be the highest because they're in your gym. They're in front of you. They're feeling your energy. You got tools. You can get them on your end body. You can show them your equipment that will always be the highest. And you can just build the best connection with someone face to face, belly to belly. The next one zoom. So at least I can see your face. At least I can read your body language. That's going to be the second best. And then the third would be a phone call. And you know, you've probably heard it where people are super distracted on a phone call. They're talking to their kids they are getting in and out of their car. They're looking for a street while they're trying to talk to you. And so you will have the lowest uh, conversion when you got somebody on the phone. And that's why even with us, when we do phone closing, cause we do a lot of GR is we make sure to tell the person, Hey, is now still a good time. Um, and we just, we'll, we'll even challenge them. If we hear they're distracted, we'll say, Hey, it sounds like you a lot going on. Can we rebook? And it's cause we want to signal to them. We need your attention. We, we will not be treated as second, you know, class people because you're trying to, you know, be multitasking. So the time that you're closing, the way in which you're closing will also dictate the show up rate. And then finally, a trick that I've been using recently for people who do free appointments is implementing a $10 reservation fee. And people just don't want to lose their money. And, and so even if they put a dollar down or a measly $10 and, you know, some people have said like, Hey, I've struggled on how to frame that. The minute we named, we've mentioned it $10, we, we lose them. They say, Hey, you guys seem like you're out for money. The first thing you want is $10 and I've even seen the gym. And so the way that I've found a, you know, a, a positive way to frame it is to label it as a drop-in fee that you're actually going to reduce heavily. Like you do a $30 drop-in. You're not a member. You're just in town vacation. It's $30 drop-in. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to give it to you for 10. We're going to give you a session for that fee. And I'm going to meet with you and build you a program. And from there, we can decide if it's a good fit. And if you don't want to move forward, whatever reason, well, you as the gym owner, you can decide, are you willing to refund them that $10? Will you roll it over into their program? But just putting something, some sort of skin in the game drastically has increased show up rates for the owners we work with that have, again, free appointments and then a lot of people wasting their time. So those are some tips. Hopefully those help, Stacey. Matt, how about for you? What, what would you recommend? Yeah, the biggest thing for the the appointments, uh, I 1000% agree with Dustin, like getting some level of skin in the game that, you know, if you don't show up, like, you, you know, you lose your money, like 
just the fact that somebody takes out their credit card shows motivation. And if yeah. they're not motivated enough to, to pay $10 to reserve their spot, and all that does is it reserves their spot because you have a lot of people that would like that spot. And if we give it to them, then we're taking it away potentially from, from somebody else. And then just saying, hey, for some reason you're not able to make your appointment, just let us know ahead of time and we'll give you a a refund on that. But the nice part is now they got to come and talk to you versus you get ghosted or they don't show up. The next thing is, again, you got to build value. Like if you're just saying, hey, it's a free appointment to come meet with me, there's zero value in, in doing that, right? So we need to build the value in what you're going to do with them to help them reach their desired outcome. At the end of the day, people have a desired outcome that they want. That's what's valuable is how are you going to help them reach their desired outcome, right? So one of the things that you can think about doing is, well, one, appointment-wise, if it's beyond three days, you're screwed. So like the anything past three days from, hey, I'm interested to them sitting down with you, your, the likelihood of them showing up gets less and less and less and less. But what you would want to do, depending on your abilities, would be one to two type of emails of showing like client success uh, on your program as well. So on top of getting the, them to pay a little bit of money to reserve their spot, that's going to just like drastically increase it alone. So if you change nothing except for getting a small deposit to reserve their spot, you're going to see a dramatic increase inside of there. Um, decrease the time frame of how long it takes and then send one to two, like you need to have reminders as well. So minimum reminder, like would be as soon as the appointment set, they're getting a reminder of that appointment. And then also the day of the morning of, they need to have an appointment reminder as well, because some people forget that they had the appointment. So 8 AM that day, they have to have um, appointment reminder. Alex Ramosi talks about like, he's like that significantly increases that as well. Um, but if you can put in like one to two uh, emails or one to two messages to that person prior to of a client story, a client transformation, hey, we're really looking forward to, to meeting you, da, 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 da. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to help you. This is the value that you're going to get at the meeting, right? Because they, they don't even know what they're getting at this meeting. They're scared. They're nervous. They don't know what's going to happen. So how do you ease their concerns? So I would send out like one email to to ease their concerns of hey this is what's going to happen at the meeting here's all the value that you're going to get even if you decide to not move forward with us in any capacity you're still going to get this value this value this value this value and if we can align that with their desired outcome of what they want then they're going to show up because they know they're going to get value at that appointment if they just think hey i'm just going to get sold and i don't know what i'm going to get sold like they're going to have to have the highest level of motivation to show up for for that appointment. So we wanna really decrease that. So if we look at Alex Hermosi's value equation at the top, we have desired outcome, we have likelihood of achievement. So if you're showing you know, client success, that increases the likelihood of achievement. We wanna decrease time delay, and then we wanna decrease sacrifice and effort. That equates to value in the consumer's mind. So when we are looking at communicating, how do we increase the likelihood of the desired outcome? So understanding what the avatar wants, right? Likelihood of achievement. So how do we increase that? And then ultimately, how do we increase time delay? And then how do we decrease sacrifice and effort with what we're promoting to them? That is what's valuable to the consumer. That you doing an appointment with them has zero value. It's actually inconvenient. 
It's sacrifice and effort. They got to take an hour out of their day to come and meet with you and sit down with you. And they don't know what you're going to pitch them and they don't know what you're going to do to them. And they don't even know why they should show up. Right. Because they got buyer's remorse. The minute they they uh, schedule that appointment, buyer's remorse sets in. So how do you overcome that buyer's remorse? Right now, I'm doing business audits for uh, for gym owners. And the email, like I sent out an email, talk about the value that they're going to get. But I also say like, hey, my time's super valuable. Like all I ask is that you show up, right? Because, you know, I'm taking an hour out of my day. You know, obviously as nicely as I can say, I'm super successful. Like this is a big benefit to you. Don't fuck me over. It's nice. I don't say that, but like that's pretty much kind of how it comes across. Um, and then we have them confirm their appointment. So there's like, they confirmed their appointment that they are coming, right? So nurturing that lead until they actually show up for that appointment is really, really important. I don't think a lot of gyms do that. I think a lot of gyms like send out like one remind, like as soon as they get scheduled to get like a reminder, like that's it. We're not that important, unfortunately. So show them the value of meeting with you and what they're gonna get, ease their nerves, ease their concerns. Um, and then you're gonna get a lot more show rates. And, and I know, Matt, when you do those audits, you show people the power of just gradually increasing one number up a few percentage points. So guys, like, look at this as that game. Like, you might not need more leads. If you can get more leads to respond and you can get more leads to show, maybe you can grow your business without more leads. It's just improving these numbers. And so this sounds like work, but so is finding another marketing campaign to get more leads or coming up with a new offer this is actually the the work that, you know, they say the work you're trying to run from is probably the work you need to focus on now. And that's the work that needs your attention. So if you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to remind people. I don't want to set up this campaign that sends out these client stories and transformations. Like that's what your business needs from you. Whatever you don't feel like doing, I promise you, that's what your business needs from you right now. A, a good video on, on this, Alex Ramosi just launched a good video on this of like how he helped transform a, one of his companies. And uh, it broke down a lot of these these topics. I just recommend going in and watching that because I think it's really, really important for if you have a business that has people that have to show up for you to sell, these things are absolutely critical because so many of us go, I need more leads. I need more leads. I need more. What if you just did better with the leads that you had um, and really understood what that prospect wants? Your, your business is going to grow massively. All right, we're going to go to our next question. This one came from a gym owner named Chad. He said, what steps need to be taken if your ultimate goal is priming the business to sell in the next three years? So it doesn't sound like it's something that's going to happen today. And for most gym owners, that's probably a good thing. There's work that's going to go into it and to get it prepared for it to be sold. I've sold gyms, Matt sold gyms. We've talked to a lot of gym owners who've sold gyms. So like, I think we got some great tips we can share with you. Matt, I'll let you kick it off on this one, but what advice would you give the chat? Yeah, it goes back to what are people buying? That That's the number one question that you have to ask yourself is what are they buying? They want an investment, right? So with that, they, they need to be buying cash flow and they need to be buying systems. Uh, if they're not, if the business isn't profitable, it's not making a lot of cash flow, well, why would somebody in, invest in that gym? And then if it's not very systemized, why would I want to do that? So if I was an investor or somebody taking over a gym, I need to know that it's going to cover my debt load and get a return on my investment. The likelihood of somebody just coming in and buying all cash without a loan is 
highly unlikely. Um, not saying it doesn't happen, but most people don't have just that amount of cash sitting around that they want to take on. So they need to be able to carry the debt load and get a return on their investment. And then they want to know that they're not inheriting a nightmare of a, a situation inside of the gym. So a gym that's highly systemized, you have your SOPs, you have your systems and your processes, you have a highly trained team because a lot of people want to know that they're inheriting a team as well, right? So it can't just be a, like you are the, the only reason the business works is because of you. Then no one's going to buy, buy your business. So it needs to be systemized. You need to have a team that's running the day-to-day -day operations. Now you can still be like the the manager of the business. That's that's totally fine in my opinion. Ideal world is you're not doing a lot of the day-to-day. -day. Like that would that would sit really well with an investor or somebody that's looking to come in and, and buy your business. But if it's solely dependent on you, you lose. But now let's get into the cash flow side of things. Is you really need to look at how you're running and operating your business. If you are dipping into your business uh, for for personal, like that's going to be a no-no because if you somebody is getting a loan, they're going to scrutinize your books. So your books need to be meticulous. Uh, I would honestly like, hey, every month my P&L is completely up to date. The books are done within one to two weeks after the month is done, right? so that you have very clear P&Ls, it's meticulous. You're not double dipping. You're not um, like even looking at, you know, obviously there's some things as business, business owners that we can do that help us personally, but that will actually hurt the valuation of your business down the road. So if your goal is to start selling, like you are going to want to pay more in taxes. And I know no one wants to hear this, right? So like, the end of the year where you're like, oh man, I can buy new equipment and I can buy this and I can buy that. All that's doing is decreasing the value of your business because now the cash flow, now the profit of your business just went down. Yeah, you paid less taxes per se, but now you made the value of your business less. So sometimes when we go into, you know, fourth quarter like tax planning where it's like, hey, buy more equipment or buy more supplements or buy or prepay for like one thing that we've done before is like prepay. Uh, we got like Amazon gift cards because we buy all our supplies from Amazon. So in December, we prepay for like two or three months of supplies so that we get our, um, you know, more expenses. So we're not paying as much in taxes, but that actually is not good for the valuation of your business. That's also not good if you were to go and try to get a loan from a bank. They want to see as much cash as humanly possible. They want to see that you're retaining cash inside of your accounts. So the end objective, you need to be thinking about that. So like, how do you make it as cash flow as positive? Because really the value of a gym is going to be two and a half to three times, you know, your cash flow. So that's typically what you're going to get. And you want to maximize that as much as possible over the next uh, obviously two to three and, years and really annual. So just so yeah. everyone's clear, you're saying annual cash flow, right? Two to three times Correct. annual. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Two to three times annual, but typically what you're looking at is going to be your two to three year average uh, of cash as well. Um, so it, like if you're going out the typical 85% of buyers buy with an SBA loan, they want three years, right? They're going to value your business off the last three years. So with that, 
If you are thinking I'm three years out, now's the time to really start dialing in. If you're not doing great with your bookkeeping, dial that stuff in today. Um, and then it's really gonna be a three-year picture of what does it look like the last three years. So if you are doing some stuff, you are paying for trips or you are paying anything extra that maybe you shouldn't be doing or meals out or any of that stuff that might be a personal benefit to you, yes. you can try to record what's a personal benefit to you. And that would be something that I would encourage you to do if you are doing that. That's Start true. recording. This is a personal benefit to the owner because then you can try to negotiate to work that back into the the profitability of the business. But if you're Very not cool. thinking that way right now, good freaking luck going back three years and trying to to record that and be able to justify certain purchases and certain things that you you can add back in and they call them addbacks, right? So well, if there are some things you're doing right now, do you want to continue to do that? I would document that as an addback. Um, especially if you're going to go sell the business later and, and people would actually be impressed because you're like, oh, I was documenting this knowing that I was actually going to sell the business in, in the future, right? Yeah. Um, One thing I want to just throw in there, Matt, is like, I'm really surprised how many gym owners just don't even get a P&L delivered to them monthly by a CPA or their tax person and guys, if you want to sell three years from now, like what you do today is going to result in that price tag that you collect three years from now. So if you're not doing monthly P&Ls, basically what Matt's bringing up is like just adding some more different rows to your line items, you know? So if it's like utilities and then like you said, you could put in owner's benefits. So it could be like you're writing off your phone, you're writing off your car because you wrapped it and it's it's heavy enough to be considered a write-off, but the new owner is not going to get your car, you know, unless you include that with the price. So it's like, um, we need to put these line items in. So everything's clear. Even putting something as generic as payroll. Well, if your owner payrolls in there and it's all clumped together, we need to break it up and create clear line items of what everything is so that they can see it um, as transparently as possible. That's going to make for a smoother sale. And, uh, you know, to Matt's point, there's probably some things you're writing off that can be considered profit to the next owner that'll beef up the price tag you can get. So just get a monthly, you know. The, the more detail you can have, like you don't want to be overly detailed where it's just chaotic and no one understands what's going on. But yeah. you are going to have to explain the profitability of the business to a prospective buyer. And you're going to have to explain it to a bank most likely. And they are going to they're going to deep dive. And if your books are a mess and they can't comprehend it and they can't understand it, underwriters, like I feel like underwriters job is to not loan you money. What we're trying to do is give them zero reason to not loan us money, but they're also making sure that the story matches, right? You're saying the profitability is X. Does the story actually match this? And they're going to ask you questions. And if you can't answer those questions, then a bank's not going to loan on it. A bank's job is to mitigate risk. They want to make money, but they also like the fastest way to not make money is to lose money. So the number one job of a bank is to not lose money, right? So if your books are a mess and they can't understand it and you can't paint the right picture, then you will never, somebody will not be able to get a loan on your business. And that's just the, the cold, hard truth. So the number one thing I would say is make sure your books are good then look at maximizing cash flow and, and profitability. And then obviously having a systemized business that somebody is inheriting 
not dependent on you as as the owner. So as you go over the next three years, the goal for you would be to elevate yourself above the business. So you're not training sessions. You're not like doing as much day-to-day operations so that an owner can be like, oh, I could just take over what they're doing and, and take over their business, right? So if you're doing everything in your business, that is not a business. That is a high-paying job, hopefully. Hopefully it's high-paying, but it's really just a job. The next thing is starting to get your mindset to sell. And this is critical. And this is where a lot of gym owners have no, like, you can do all the other things, but eventually you're going to be negotiating with somebody uh, of the sale of your business and they're going to want to pay as little as humanly possible for your business and you want to make as much as humanly possible for your business. So a book that I can't recommend enough is a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And uh, this this made me a lot of money. Um, I recently sold two of my locations and the first offer was 400000 Eventually, I sold it for a million dollars. So we went from $400,000 offer to a million dollars. And a lot of it was I used the techniques and understand understood negotiations, but I used a lot of techniques from this book to do that because if you let your emotions dictate the negotiation, you will lose, right? The most desperate person will lose in the the side of the negotiations. The other thing about it is really, I would encourage you to start thinking about creative financing because I've sold multiple businesses now and every situation is different and there's multiple ways to win and have everybody win and feel like they left winning. But just kind of knowing what your options are, obviously there's probably going to end up being some level of seller financing involved. There's going to be other creative things that that you can do and different pay structures and different terms. And uh, every bank is a little bit different. So I'm actually in the middle of selling one of my locations right now. And one of the questions I asked the bank is, what do you want to see? What is going to make you guys feel good about this deal? How do you want it de-risked? What's important to you? Like these are all, like I literally, I think he's a, Uh, He works for the bank. His job is to like get it to underwriting, right? So like, how do we make this an easy thing to underwrite? What's going to be a slam dunk for you guys? What do you want to see? What makes you happy? You know, sometimes it's you being willing to take on a little bit of risk so that the bank's not taking on all the risk. But if you don't know, every bank wants something different. Every person wants something different. Every owner wants something different. So the people you're sitting across the table to is, is really learning what do they want? What's a win to them? What's What are they worried about? And you won't believe what some people are actually worried about, but if you don't ask the right questions, you won't be able to structure the deal correctly for the bank or for that person. And every deal has been different and every single person is worried about something else. And if you understand creative financing, you can really get creative with how you go about doing things. But it's also looking at who's your buyer. Most likely, your buyer is already in your doors. It's probably going to be a client or it's going to be a team member. Now, if it's going to be a team member, most team members, and I'm not saying this to insult anybody, they don't have the ability, they're not bankable to go to somebody and go get a big loan because they don't have any money, typically any money for a down payment or they don't have enough. The cool part with 
the new SBA, they just passed like a new new law, they can come to the table with as little as 5% of the total purchase. Now the down payment has to be at least 20%. So, well, typically what a buyer has to have now is at least 5% and then another 5% on top of that in, in extra funds uh, available to them. Then the seller can come to the table with the other 15% of seller financing and that meets their 20% down, right? So really your, your, your buyer, if you're going SBA, which an SBA will only fund your deal if there's enough cash flow to cover the debt and then some, right? If there's not, then they're, they're not going to touch that with a 10 foot, 10 foot pole. So I think the coverage has to be like, like 1.2 on, on top of the debt, meaning you have an extra 20% on top of whatever the debt is. Okay. So understanding who the end buyer team member, potentially, this might be something that you start looking at grooming a team member to purchase and buy. Like, is it someone's dream to eventually, you know, buy the gym and you can start having those conversations, which would be them starting to, um, you know, prepare themselves and get ready to do that. Where a team member, if they have a house, they could pull an uh, home equity line of credit to be able to come up with the, the 5% because that is funds that they have available to them. Uh, they could also go get the funds from parent, a relative, uh, whoever it may be, right? Um, so there again, when we think about creativity and understanding what does the bank need to fund the deal, uh, you can start doing that. The other person would be a, a client. But obviously with that, you're probably going to have to publicly let people know that you are selling. But the end consumer, because they have nostalgia in this place, they love the place and they've always kind of thought about, man, what would it like to be to own a gym? And my last person that bought was 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 clients so i've seller fine fully seller finance to a team member i have sold the clients and now i'm selling to a team member using sba financing so kind of the whole gamut but if i didn't understand negotiations if i didn't understand creative finance a lot of this stuff would not work whatsoever um and then also if everything was a hot mess from a books bookkeeping perspective it also wouldn't work so those are like the, the big things to be thinking about. Hopefully that kind of gets your, your wheels uh, wheels spinning. Dustin, you sold a few gyms as well. I don't know if there's anything else for you to add on that topic. I mean, yeah, you covered it well. I mean, I'll just recap the key points. Like get it as profitable as possible because that's going to enable you to get the highest price tag. Um, get your P&L being delivered to you on a regular basis and you want to see that profit obviously trend up I think it's exciting because like what you sell today, if it's not in, you know, the best place, you basically for the next three years are grinding to get a fat payout. And so that will be the light of the air into your tunnel, right? And so essentially get that PL being delivered to you. Start, like Matt said, thinking about who could be that buyer and starting to groom them. And maybe even if they have the ability, start moving them up in terms of responsibility so that they can feel kind of like almost start to feel like the owner before they get presented with the ability to be the owner and then um you know the final thing is being creative with your financing like don't think it's someone comes in strokes one check that's not how most businesses are bought uh until you get to like major major you know businesses but i i mean i've even heard about a major company buying another major company all for stock 
Like they didn't even pay out anything out of pocket. Like they just gave them stock of their company. So there's the auto creativity. I love that book, you know, you mentioned from Chris Voss, never split the difference. So it, it is something if you want to get the maximum return, it is going to take time. Don't think about doing it now. And uh, finally, it's get those SOPs in place, get your systems in a, in a place where someone could come in and just step in and be now the new leader of the systems, not the leader of every session of the day and entering the agreements. And like Matt said, otherwise you're selling a high paying job. So yeah, I think those are all the key points. Hey, gym owners, Dustin here, and I'm excited about the Fitness Empire Mastermind because Matt and myself are giving you everything you need to be successful in the fitness business. We have weekly coaching calls for gym owners. We have monthly calls for your team, your coaches, your managers, everybody's invited. We have all of our resources, checklists, guides, PDFs, systems, all downloaded in there, and it's to help you build a scalable business, something that can operate without you so that you can move on and look at other things that you're interested in. You can have time for hobbies. You can have time with your family. These are the things that Matt and I have developed. We're both absentee owners that are not in the day-to-day -day operations of our business, and we can guide you exactly on how to do it as well. So if that's something you're interested in, go to fitnessempiremastermind.com, click the link, and we'll see you on the inside. The, la the last part I'll add is if you can eventually elevate a manager where they are doing the day-to-day -day operations so that the owner thinks that they're stepping in with the manager in place, uh, that'll also make what you're doing uh, more valuable. All right, we're gonna go to another question now. This one came from Addison. How can I get my team to take more responsibility when I ask them to do anything else outside of coaching? It's met with a ton of resistance and procrastination. So I'll kind of throw in some things here and then I'll let you chime in too, Matt. Uh, but I definitely want to say, number one is what the context comes into what you're asking them, right? Is it just literally clean up the dumbbells or is it, I need you to take on a hundred challengers for this next big group of challengers that are coming in. So again, that's what we're only me and Matt are not having in this question. Like we can go a million different directions with it, but you know, just in general, number one, what kind of leader are you to them? Like, how are you showing up and how much you care for them? What's the culture like? Because it might be that it's a taking culture. Like I only, I'm only showing up to take my paycheck. I'm here to take, take, take. Um, I'm not here to give. And so why, you know, why is this person here? Who you let come through your doors is a huge part of it. And so they might be matching your lead because I've seen like I just need you to run my Tuesday night sessions, like, and then oh now I need you to do one more thing. And it's like you kind of start the relationship in a very I'm using you mindset. Well, they're using you back. And so if there's no like, hey, we want to build a career, we want to have a vision, there's this big thing that they're buying into and you as a leader and you only are using them and then now you're asking to use them more, that's going to be obviously met with resistance. So it's first showing up as a leader, showing up with a opportunity, showing up with a company culture that makes people want to work together and it's positive. Like that's like the underlying thing within all tasks you ask your team is culture right it's like how we treat each other one thing that i like to do and i even do when i'm around my team is i use the phrase many hands make the work light so if there is grunt work we got to clean the gym we got to rearrange the equipment i just like snap everybody out of whatever they're doing and just say hey guys we're all going to work together and we could probably get this done a lot quicker and we're going to do it together and we're going to all have less to do because we're all doing it 
it does feel like a little awkward if someone's doing some computer work and somebody else is like vacuuming and like now you know there could be that resentment like why am i doing this cleaning work but they're not so it's like when someone's doing grunt work we should all do grunt work like let's all just do it together so there isn't this weird dynamic in the room so it's like i'll take the bathroom you're gonna vacuum awesome you restock the supplies you wipe down the equipment and then we can just speed through it and get it done because we know it's the stuff that sucks and with every job there is a part that sucks but it shows a little bit more camaraderie and teamwork it's kind of like a team workout right we're all suffering together and so no one's mad at one person who's working out and one who's not because we're all working out so if we're all doing this grunt work together it builds better camaraderie so like that's something that i like to do is just like hey guys when the grunt work does begin everyone stops what they're doing and they do it together it shows better teamwork it shows better culture rather than division like oh you're a cleanup crew i'm not i got bigger fish to fry that starts to create that resentment right so that that's something i would say is like are you doing it too like you are you the owner the team has seen me many times i've scrubbed toilets i picked up trash on the floor i've picked up crap off the ground because somebody crapped their pants going into one of our bathrooms like and that's just the stuff you got to get done right and for your team they're looking at the leader and you lead the culture you lead how we do things you lead how we treat each other you lead how we talk so who are they following? Who are you, right? Who are you as a leader? So I think that's a big part of it. The next thing I would say is also, are you being mindful of what's on their plate? Because I know right now, for example, we're in this mega challenge and the team has a lot of extra work. Is now the right time for me to assign them assignment? Like, you know, I want you guys to all read this book. I want you guys to listen to this podcast. Is it the right time for me to add in more team training? Is it the right time for me to change up our systems? No, but guess what? The old me used to do that. I would create a mess and then I would create another and I create another and I just stack them up and I didn't care. I wasn't thinking about my team and I had to get that feedback. They're like, I feel overwhelmed right now, Dustin. And now you're adding this. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't think about it. I'm sorry. And so I had to get shooken up from that, uh, that you're making those mistakes. So I'm just sharing that with you. What's on your team's plate? Not just what you're giving them, what's going on in their personal life? Because you can't forget that. You can't just think about when they walk in the door, they're just a, a, a blank canvas. There's personal stuff they got going on and then they got their work stuff and then what are you asking extra of them so um that, that would be the second tip and then final tip i'll kick it to matt is what you're asking match the right person in terms of their personality profile and their skill set so it's like are you asking are you frustrated because you've asked this coach to do follow-up well, that's going to be a fight to the end of your days, right? Because this is just not their skill set. Like you're asking someone to do something that comes unnatural to them. For you, maybe you hate numbers and you hate looking at data. It's like someone tying you to a chair and making you look at your numbers. Now, as a business owner, you got to kind of suck it up and you do got to learn your numbers. But with your team, you want them to be more specialists. You have to be the ultimate generalist. You do need to know everything semi-well where them let them specialize in their one thing and doing it well so are you trying to cross them over into something that's not their natural proclivity and that's where the friction's showing up because i know i've done that i've had a coach and the next rung in our ladder is to step into being a manager which means you do sales and i could tell you at least five times that we promoted a coach to a manager and then the resistance shows up when they have all the sales activities and they're failing they're failing to put in the notes they're failing to close deals and there's all this pressure and stress that I'm feeling that they're feeling. And then, you know, what the answer was, it wasn't like canning them. It was putting them back into where they were happy. And that was being a coach and just demoting them. And they stayed longer and they were happy that that was an option because people's only thought is, uh oh, if I'm not performing, I'm gone. 
where I think of, oh, I just got to change your seat. You're in the wrong seat. That was my bad. I put you in that seat. I asked you to step up and take on more responsibility. I caused this friction. I took responsibility. And I also want to take it away because it's not fair to you that you get canned because I try to put you into the wrong spot. So again, have that awareness. Are you the cause of it? Again, this goes out to you being a leader and your awareness. Are you putting people in the wrong spot that's causing these these things to happen, right? So that that would be some advice that I would give. Uh, Matt, what, what would you say on this topic? So number one, your team is never going to be excited to do more. Let's just face it. There, there's not like a, a thing where they're going to like, oh my God, that's so great. Now I want to do all this extra shit I don't want to do. Like it's just never going to happen. So again, I say that and I say it lovingly because when there is a gap between expectations and reality, that's where frustration sets in. So sometimes we just feel like, why doesn't my team want to do this? Why do they not want to do all this extra shit that I want them to do? Nobody does, especially if there's no more pay for it. Like think about like my team's on salary. So the minute I ask them to do more, they're doing more without getting paid more, right? So if I have an option to do less and get paid the same, I'm incentivized to try to do less and get paid the same, right? Because there's not an incentive to do more and get paid the same, right? So no one's going to be like super excited about doing more if there's not something, you know, ultimately in it for them. So assuming people are hourly, that's a little bit of a different thing because you're basically getting paid for every little thing that you're doing. But I will start with this, which was similar to Dustin is, do they need to be doing it? Your coaches value to your business is typically going to be training clients, right? So like, let's just say you do personal training. Your business only makes money when a coach is training a client. That's it. So the majority of every single person's time should be what brings the business money. My coaches bring a zero money cleaning. My coaches do zero money doing administrative tasks. My Like they're sole value to the business, if we're just looking at value, meaning they bring money to the business, is actually client-facing activities that generate revenue. So that's where we want coaches to be. And guess what? It also aligns with what they want to be doing. So is there somebody else that could potentially be doing that? And I, I recently kind of had like a ding, 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 ding moment. I'm like, if a coach can bring in a hundred to two hundred dollars an hour, and I'm asking them to do something that I could pay somebody else twenty dollars an hour to do, we are technically losing, you know, potentially a hundred to two hundred dollars an hour by having them do twenty dollar an hour maybe admin tasks or twenty dollar an hour cleaning tasks. Like even the cleaning side of things, we started bartering bartering more memberships for cleaning because from a profitability standpoint, it freed the coaches up to go do revenue generating activities and not have to do as as much cleaning, right? Because that that's better for the business to be allow them to to do that versus them spending, you know, a couple more hours a week on cleaning. They have to do some, you know, before session tasks and after session tasks. Um, and there is still some cleaning involved, but it's it's more minimal because they shouldn't be doing a ton of those tasks. I would rather barter out a membership and have somebody else do it that's going to do a better job, have better attention to detail um, versus coaches. You're always going to have to kind of go behind them because their attention to detail when it's 
cleaning wise is not not necessarily going to be there. So I just encourage you to look at it that way. But now if we're talking about how do we lead, so leadership is influence. What are we influencing? We really want to influence their their thoughts, their beliefs, and their feelings behind what we're asking them to do, which yeah. creates their state, right? So how do we create a better state around what we're asking our team members to do? So we need to tie what we're asking them to do to what actually matters to them. So we need to tie what we're asking them to do to either living out the vision or not living out the vision, living out the mission or not living out the mission, living the core values or not living the core values. Yes. We need to tie to that and also what they actually care about, which is either themselves, the clients, or the team members. They don't care about your business. They don't care about you. But just make it very abundantly clear. If you're making it about the business and you, you will always lose that messaging, right? But make it more about like, hey, you didn't clean. That's insignificant. Now you just feel like you're nagging them and uh, you're always talking about cleaning, right? What's the effects when we don't cl clean? How's that not living out the vision? How's that not living out our mission? How's that not living a core value? How's uh, that negatively affecting the people that they actually care about? So when we want people to do things, we need to be abundantly clear what the expectation is, not just verbally, right? So when we when I say abundantly clear verbally, it'd be what, where, when, how, right? What, where, when, how with the tasks that we're asking them to do. It can't be open-ended. It can't be when you feel like it. It can't be when you got time. It's got to be very clear of what, when, where, how are we going to do this task, right? I'm a big fan of daily, weekly, and monthly task lists because then it gets people into a habit and a routine. If you're expecting them to find the time to do the things that you want them to do, they will forget whether it's purposely or not, or they will go find something else to bide their time. So they are working. They're just not working on the things that you wanted them you know, to do. So we need to make sure that we have clear expectations. They understand how you want it done. And I would show them this is the end product. For example, if you want a bathroom clean, don't be like, hey guys, clean the bathroom. Ooh. And then you're, they're gonna do it to your standard. You're gonna go in and you're gonna show them exactly how you want the bathroom cleaned, right? Like if you want people to wipe down below on the, the bottom of the toilet, show them that this is what I want done, right? Step for step, how you want that task actually done and accomplished. And, and really like obviously everyone deserves to have a clean, like all our clients and even every team member deserves to walk in and have a clean bathroom. We don't want to be like the other gym. And that's the other verbiage that you do is us versus them. Hey, other gyms have nasty and gross bathrooms. We don't do that here. That's not the standard that, that we have here, which is why we need to clean because it aligns with our vision or mission, core values, et cetera, right? So the messaging of what you're asking if you're letting your team members create the meaning, you will lose. Because guess what the meaning is? Ah, oh, shit, I gotta do more work. This is how it affects my life. I don't want to do this. This is BS. They keep asking me to do more things. If you allow them to create the meaning, you will lose. So create a better meaning. You're gonna create a better state because the meaning dictates the thoughts and the meaning dictates the beliefs. The meaning dictates the feelings and that dictates the, the state. So. I would encourage you to prep yourself when you are going to go in and ask your team to do things. How do I want to influence their state about what I'm asking them 
to do. An example of this is we do uh, monthly team trainings. So a couple hours once a month, we do team trainings. And it's in the middle of the day. And guess what? That's the team's time, right? That's typically time that they have available to go do whatever they need to do. And if we just said, hey, team training, uh, you know, last Thursday of every month, you know, it's at 11 o'clock to, to 1 o'clock. And we didn't help dictate the meaning of why do we do these trainings and why they're so important and how it lives out the vision and how it helps make sure that we're on mission and how it lives our core values, right? So for example, one of our core values is whatever it takes, whatever it takes to help our team members and clients win. No other gym is coming in on a Thursday at 11 o'clock to do this. No other gym is willing to do that, right? But we're willing to do what no one else is willing to do to provide our clients an exceptional experience. That's why we're here today because we wanna be exceptional and we wanna be the best and provide the best for, for our clients. And that requires training. That requires sacrificing two hours every single month to come in, get better for our clients. Versus be like, hey guys, team training on Thursday, it's two hours in the middle of the day, uh, be happy about it. <laughs> Not gonna work, right? So. We have to, as leaders, we don't like it because it's like, it can be exhausting, but you have to, every time you go in to ask your team, very clear expectations, but be the best in the world at creating the meaning behind what you're asking them to do. You need That's... to be able to prep their states and create a positive state around what you're asking them to do. And then the last part is acknowledge them and recognize them for doing what you asked them to do. Somebody is great attitude about going and cleaning the bathroom. Like, hey, I just want to thank you for having such a great attitude about cleaning the bathrooms. I know it's not fun. We know that we need to do it because our clients deserve ever, you know, blah, 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 blah. I just want to thank you because you're always, you know, like the first one to go and, and, and do those things. Um, and I really, really appreciate it, right? And then bring it up in team meetings or give them a core value shout out in front of the team because they always have a great attitude about what you're asking them to do. And it's like parenting your kids, if all we ever do is harp on the negative and we're not rewarding them and recognizing them for it, for the positive, then they're actually going to do more of the negative stuff because that's actually when they're getting attention. And uh, team members are very similar to, to kids, right? So really making sure that we're trying to pour into our team and recognize them for the positive things that they are doing will make a massive impact as well. So every gym owner that I ever talk with when we they struggle because I think we all struggle with this. It's how we approach it, how we explain it, why it matters, create the meaning, right? And do all those things consistently and remind them consistently. This is why we do X, Y, and Z, not just one time. You will find that your team gets way more on board and you're not going to have as many issues of, of pushback that you currently have. I love it. That's all great things nothing more i would add on that and i think that essentially these are all reminders you know again for me i'm sure matt's getting reminded of this you guys uh we all need to remember to do these things because if especially if you're high d we you know on the disc profile you're just about what needs to be done you forget about the why you forget about how to do it exactly how to clean forget who is responsible for it you're just like this is what i need done just go get it done so again it's it's just good reminders that we all need all right we'll go I to, the... want to oh, yeah, go ahead, that. I know you're trying to get to the next question is 
the last part of it is make sure that your team is actually confident. So it goes back to the the the, the three CDs, right? Yes. Like have we actually taught them? So for example, I know you brought up the lead follow-up because we're big believers in not having your team that's not actually hired to do lead follow-up or do lead follow-up. If they're avoiding and not doing it, most likely they don't have the confidence to do that task, right? Which then they don't have the courage to do it and then they never get the confidence and the task to, to do it even, well either. So make sure that if you are asking your team to do some things, make sure they're also highly trained on the activities that you're asking them to do because no one likes to look stupid. No one likes to look like, I don't know what I'm doing. If I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to try to avoid it and not do it. So your job as a leader too, is to give your team confidence in anything that you are asking them to do, which I'm assuming you have tried to do that. But oftentimes people will avoid what they're not good at. Get them good at what you're asking them to do. And you'll also, and then you do the other things I just said, now you're going to start finding your team is much more likely to to do those activities. All right. Well, we are going to go to our last question for today, which is, uh, I think, a really cool opportunity. Uh, David asks, a local competitor went out of business. I tried to reach out to the owner, but got no response. How can I market to their customers and invite them to train at my facility? So, Matt, do you want to start on this one or do you want me to go? I think you can go with that one and then I'll just... Okay. This actually has happened for me, and uh, this is something we actually were talking about to our mastermind group. I said, hey, it is in your favor to be friends with the local gym owners and the local trainers in your area because of this exact situation. Sometimes they're a better fit for a different model. I you know, was friends, still am, with the CrossFit owner in my town, and I, and I saw they actually did quality training and a good version of CrossFit, and so when someone came in and they're like, hey, I was actually looking for more of a CrossFit gym and we're not, we are, we're totally okay calling that out. And then now I had a good referral to send them to. And so, you know, over the years, I've actually had multiple people offer me their gym for free. I've told Matt this, like, I think it's up to 10 gym owners have said, here's the keys, Dustin, I'm done. I'm ready to walk away for no cost because I did nothing more than I befriend them and give them coaching and give them advice and help them out when they were down and essentially was there for them. But, you know, th th this is a business where people come and go because they don't, I think, understand how tough it's going to be. And that's what happens a lot of times if a client opens a gym, they got no business background or, you know, a trainer gets into it and they really love training. They didn't realize all this business side of stuff that is going to take and it crushes them and they go under and that's no, you know, knock on them, but it just happens. Most small businesses don't make it to the five year mark. But the sad part is obviously it's the clients. Like they don't have a place to train at now and they need a new home. So how can you do this? Obviously, you want to do everything in your power to get a hold of that owner. You know, text them, call them, DM them on Facebook, reach out to the coaches who used to train there and find out if they have the owner's phone number. Put it up on your Facebook, your Instagram. I'm I'm looking to get in contact with this owner. I heard unfortunately that they went out of business. I'd love to give their clients a new home. But the only way they're going to respond to you is if you've at least shown some sort of grace or, you know, like respect to them. If you guys have been at war, why would they want to give you their clients? Why would they want to help you? Why, you know, if you've talked smack, all that, they do things crappy over there. You know, don't go to that gym that they're, they're dumb. They do this type of training. They do this type of nutrition. They're going to ruin your body. Um, that starts to get around and now they start to look at you, the enemy. And now you guys are at war instead of working together, which is how more gyms should be again. That's, that's kind of the point I wanted to make on that. 
but I've had owners that I've bought their email list and, and I didn't need any equipment and I wasn't looking to have another location. And I did, you know, welcome their members over and we honored their rates. Um, and so, you know, we were very, uh, nearly priced. So it wasn't, uh, you know, a hard thing for me to say yes to, but they also wanted to give me their list and guess what? They were going to give it to me for free, but I actually offered to pay them because I wanted to, you know, they're giving me so much value. I wanted to give it back. And so that's something you could look at. You could say, can I at least buy their email list? Can I buy their, their equipment? And can I somehow ethically work with them to get their contracts to transfer over? You know, again, just on the legally binding side, they did sign a contract with X gym. They did not sign it with yours. You're going to have to send them a new contract, a new agreement that they're working out now at your gym. So they can't really like transfer them over. Um, but at the end of the day, you guys can work out an awesome deal to get them to come over there. Could you, could you get again in contact with this owner? because you want that owner to position you and to say good things about you and send their clients to you. And that's only going to happen again. If you've befriended them and you've at least tried to you know work with them, doesn't mean you gotta be best buddies with me. You got to hang out and all this stuff. You guys can just have a mutual, uh, respect for one another. And, uh, you know, that that's going to go a long way, especially when this shows up. So again, friend, the gym owners in your area, keep tabs on what's going on in your area. And that way, if somebody does unfortunately close, Guess who also is going to be the first person they think of when this happens? That's going to be the natural place they're going to want to send people. The one gym owner that was friendly to them. Everybody else was like looking at them as competition and having making them feel negative and uh, trying to snatch their clients or talk bad about them. But then this one gym owner was their friend. And this one gym owner added them on Facebook. And this one gym owner said, hey, let's get coffee time to time and share notes on how we're going our business. And that one gym owner had positive things, uh, you know, with them. Now that's going to be the place they naturally want to go. So that should be you, right? And it doesn't mean that they're always going to accept it. As many times I try to reach out and it was messed with resistance. And so I'm not trying to say it's all sunshines and rainbows, but how you lead, how you extend the branch, uh, I think speaks a lot about your character. So that, that would be, you know, like just in general, like you don't have to wait for someone who got a business to befriend them, start friending all the gym owners now and me and Matt agree, like you're going to be seeing a lot more of this. And and it, a lot of it happened during COVID, but you know, it's just the, the game of, of time that people drop out of this one by one and you can win in terms of, you know, acquiring those competitors. So yeah, that, that would be my best advice. Now, is there like an ad you can run and say attention members of X gym, you know, like I, I don't think I would, you know, put anything out there like that. I think it's definitely the relationship game. You got to get to know the owner. You got to try to talk to the coaches. You got to try to reach out to some of their clients and see if they had the owner's number. But also I, I would say this final thing, and that's sometimes the person's filled with so much guilt and shame that they actually went under that they don't feel good about it. They just need time. Like they need space between when it happened and when they're ready to kind of re-engage with the world about it. Like it's that grieving time. It's almost like a law. It is like losing a family man. Like your business is your baby. Well, what happens when your baby dies, right? and understand that people are feeling a lot of emotions about it. And so if they're not quick to respond to you, they just might need to stop all the business stuff for a little while and have a breather. So I wouldn't give up. I would do really aggressive follow-up right in the moment of you hearing news and try to get a hold of them and at least do like a lot of reach outs, but then I'd give it time and then I'd re-engage with them again. And it's only because sometimes I found that that has worked, that I've had some people wait a couple weeks or a month. They're like, Hey, I just had all this craziness going on. I had to work with the 
landlord. I had to sell off my equipment. We actually moved our house and now I'm ready to clean up all the, the final parts and get my members to a new gym. And now I'm ready to, you know, re-engage. So it's like, realize they got a lot going on. There's, there's a hot mess behind this type of situation. So don't think that, that you are the top of their to-do list. Like they got a lot of other things they're handling first. So those are just a few things that I would say, but you know, uh, it's all about relationships is the big theme behind all those pieces of advice. What about for you, Matt? And the number one thing is you have to get in contact with the owner. There's, it's like, yeah. hey, what could I do? What could, like every owner, and it goes even back to what we're talking about with creative financing, like every owner may be worried about something different or want something different. So just even coming to them with like, hey, I could do this for you. And I could like, you don't even know, you might offend them, right? Because you don't know they are grieving. They are going through whatever. They might be worried about you know, something different. So the only way to really understand is by talking to them. So I wouldn't put all your eggs in the basket, but how do we get a hold of the owner to have a conversation to really figure out how do I create a win uh, for that person? They might go, yeah, you can buy my email list. That's totally cool. They might go, no, I'm not giving you my email list, but I'll email, I'll email out for you they might still be protective of their, their people, who knows? So if you just come with like one idea and it's that or nothing, then you know, you're yes. a lot of people aren't successful because it's like, I can only do business one way. <laughs> There's so many ways to create a win, win, win in the, this scenario with that person. So Dustin already talked about like, do you know, can you get a hold of any of their coaches? Can you do any of your members know any members you know, at the gym that have a connection with that person, or even just telling your members, hey, does anybody know, anybody that knows the owner of the the gym that went out of business? I would love to get connected with them um, and whatever, right? So you never know who knows who, wherever it may be. So that would be step one, nothing else matters. At that point, like, what do you offer people? What do you, doesn't make sense until you actually know what's going on. The second thing that you can do if you can't get a hold of them is, if you can, again, get a hold of the coaches um, or the the clients and just say, hey, we're looking to do, you know, a, a special offer for uh, whatever the gym's name is for those, those clients to, to come through. Like is, you know, would you be willing to connect with clients or whoever it may be and anyone that you refer, I'd be happy to, you know, give you a bonus or give you a whatever it may be, right? So they become the influencers. So now can you infiltrate the two influencers? There's three influencers in the gym. There's the owner, there's the coaches, and then there's the the current current members, right? So if you can get a hold of some of the current members potentially, like, hey, does anyone know any members of this gym or any of the coaches at that gym? I would love to connect with them. Blah, 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 blah. They get you connected. Now you infiltrate them and you say, hey, we're going to do this. And anyone that you invite in or whatever it may be, if you get in touch with them, I'll give you blah, 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 because there's just got to be something in it for them. Um, now that's another kind of backdoor way to try to get a lot of those members through your doors because th that word will spread, right? Like if you get a couple people at, at that business and they know people and then they know people and then they know people right? They can get the word out for, for you as well. So those are just some, some things to, to be thinking about. For me though, it's always, can I talk to the owner? Once you talk to the owner and you can have a conversation and understand what they want and what they're concerned about, then you can make uh, something that's going to be a win-win. But until then, 
There's a million ways to skin that cat, but I would just go, and a lot of times it's follow-up game. That's... Like maybe they're not responding to their email. Maybe they're not responding to their text. Can you friend them on, on Facebook, right? Can you get a two-way introduction from somebody else? There's multiple ways to get in touch with somebody. And then I'll just be persistent, right? Like if you don't get a hold of them initially, follow up in one to two weeks and then follow up with them in one to two weeks. Um, but again, if you don't, if you're not getting in touch with them or you thought, hey, I sent one message and they didn't respond uh, and I'm I'm done, like, no, you gotta- Realize how many messages are they getting? How many I'm sorry messages are you getting from friends and family? Like how many clients are saying thank you? Like you're getting buried. You're not the only message. So yeah, that's a good point, Matt. Yeah, so making sure that, that we're following up, we're trying to hit them on, on all different angles. And again, people aren't getting the messages like we think they are. Um, even yeah. now, like if you're not double dialing people, they might not be getting your first your first phone call. Uh, they might not be getting your text messages. So you might have to hunt them down on, on Facebook. I've had people that opt in for my stuff, like gym owners opt into my stuff. They say they're interested and I'll send them a text and I get ghosted. I was like, what? And then I... I, uh, I email them and then they don't respond. So then I friend them on Facebook and then they magically respond because that's where they, you know, more likely to, to respond. So you got to think of them. This is a prospect. This is a lead. How would you follow up with a lead in your business? Does the first lead just respond to you and come through your doors and give you what you want? Ideal, that would be awesome, but you got to work for it. And this is going to be one of those things that you got to work for. It's just a lead. Think of them as a lead that could potentially be a gold mine for your business. So follow up with them way more than you'd follow up with anybody else. Yeah. And, and it'll be worth it. Like if the owner shines you up and you just get 30 members at the drop of a hat because they had like a hundred or something and they get a third of them, like, what would you pay to get 30 members, right? How much work would you put into that meeting with all of them one by one? This is a group deal. And even that list that I bought, the owner had 1500 emails and I bought it for a thousand bucks. That's like 50 cents a lead. It's like, I'll pay that all day long on Facebook and I'm going to get it just instantly. So yeah, like to your point, like put in the effort because it's going to be worth it. Like we're talking about landing a multi deal, not just a single deal on this, like multiple, multiple members. Um, so yeah. Um, funny because a lot of the questions today, Matt, were around the topics that we focus on in the mastermind. They were about scalability and sellability. And that's the, the theme between our mastermind is we want to show you guys how to scale you out of your business and scale your team into it. And we were talking about getting it ready to sell. That's the prime, you know, things that we focus on in the business and then sellable, like, you know, again, the SOPs, making sure your systems are dialed in, your team is the right team, the right culture. Um, you're increasing your percentages on show rates. Like these are all the things that are what we're talking about. So guys, if you're interested, we want to invite you to apply. Uh, you go to fitnessempiremastermind.com. These are the topics that only we just talked about today. We talked about it. Imagine if you then had some resources to take action on how to fix it. That's what we're dropping in there every single week. And we only plan to build it more and more with done for you resources so that any problem you have, there is a place in our module system where you can click on it and not only see a training from me and Matt, but also then the resource to go and fix it. So I'm like, imagine having all of that at your fingertips. That's what you get in the fitness empire mastermind. So if you guys haven't checked it out again, go to fitness empire 
mastermind.com. It is application only. And then we'll review your application. We'll go from there. No, we would love to have you uh, in the group. We are growing rapidly. The group is amazing. Uh, we'd love to have you. So if you like our coaching, you like our style, you like the real stuff, uh, we'd love to have you guys in the group so we can uh, spend more time together. All right. See you guys next week. Later. Hey guys, Dustin Bogle here. And I wanted to invite you to my free group for gym owners. It's called Fitness Sales Made Simple because I wanna show you how to convert more of your leads into sales, how to get more people to say yes to taking that leap of faith to join your program and to get healthy, fit, and more confident, all right? And so I'm gonna share my best sales strategies, but you gotta join the group to see what it's all about. And in fact, the minute you join, I'm gonna give you a free gift, and that is a PDF called Five Ways to Get More Sales in Your Gym. So join the group, I'll tag you on the PDF, and enjoy the free content. See you in the group.